All right. Good to be with you this morning, Christ Church. Good morning. I'm Pastor Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Church, and it's good to be in worship as we start a new sermon series. We're diving into a new sermon series entitled Bold, and we are going to be taking some time to look very specifically at a specific story coming from the Scriptures, coming from the Bible, in the the latter part of the Bible, in the book of Acts. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 4. So if you want to flip there early or bring out your phone and head to Acts chapter 4, that's where we're going to be. Um, But at first, I do want to give you some context as we begin diving into this series, as we begin diving into this bold scripture and what the scripture is going to share with us this morning. I wanted to share with you just some some understanding as we do that. First off, as we think about and look at the book of Acts, you need to know that the book of Acts is actually a sequel. It's part two. You see, the first part of of Acts is actually the Gospel of Luke. It's another book in the Bible that was written about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You see, what happened is this author sat down, and he wrote about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And then he decided, you know, it's really important to start kind of a sequel or a part two called the book of Acts. And so it used to be uh, just one book at one point. It was kind of like part one, part two. But eventually the the scriptures... uh, divided into kind of these two definitive books, the Gospel of Luke, which is about Jesus, and and, and the book of Acts, which follows directly after the book of Luke. So if you're reading one, you kind of go straight into the next. And as the book of Luke focused on Jesus and his life, his ministry, his death and resurrection, the book of Acts focuses on something called the ecclesia. Anyone ever heard of that word before, ecclesia? Couple, nice. Couple of you know what that means. Good. Yeah, Pastor Bob, you hope you know what that means. Um, so, <laughs> ecclesia is the Greek word for church. That's what it means. It means fellowship, gathering, God's people. What happened is Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection happened as kind of this beginning point. But then what? Then what took place? And the book of Acts shares what happens to the followers, the companions, the disciples of Jesus as they began the church, this movement of people who were seeking to follow after and understand Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. So the book of Luke really goes straight into a book all about us, all about you and me and the saints that have come before us, the church that has stood the test of time. And so that's what the book of Acts is about. It's about this continuation of the story. And so in that book, it begins in a very powerful way with something called Pentecost. The book of Acts early on has this moment where the church really gets supercharged by the witness and the power of the Holy Spirit. They're all hanging out. Jesus has has ascended. He said, you're going to do even greater things beyond after I'm going to go away, but you're going to do even greater things as my spirit comes upon you. And so go hang out in Jerusalem and my spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to come to you. And that's exactly what happens. They go to Jerusalem, they hang out and the Holy Spirit descends in tongues of flame, like in a a tangible expression of fire. And all of a sudden the disciples of Jesus stand up and they start talking in all the different languages of the world. And so they stand up and they start preaching. 
They start preaching to anyone and everyone who will listen in the city of Jerusalem, which is this cultural uh, moment of, of all these different places and peoples coming together. And all of a sudden, the, the, the church really starts as all these people who, have, who are traveling from all over the world are in Jerusalem, and they hear the gospel. They hear about Jesus in their own language. And that's Pentecost. That's kind of the beginning of the church, because a lot of those people became followers of Jesus as a result. Basically, what happens is there's just one guy who gets up and gives a really compelling sermon. You guys heard of the person Peter before? You've heard of that name, Peter? You know someone with the name of Peter? They're probably named after this guy, the apostle, the disciple, Peter. Peter stands up in the moment of Pentecost, and in a language and in a supernatural way, everybody can understand him, and he gives a sermon. And all of these people become followers and companions to the disciples and to Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, they start doing life together. They start doing church together, loving and caring for one another, supporting, helping the needy. They start reaching out. They start preaching to other people and inviting them to be a part of this movement of Christians. They start studying what the disciples have to say about what it was like to live with Jesus and be around Jesus and hear his teachings. And so these Christians are getting together in the temple and they're doing worship. They're doing what we're doing right now. They're getting together and and they're seeking to understand who God is and who Jesus is. And in the process of doing this, there's this one Sunday morning where Peter is walking along and he notices a guy lying on the wayside. And he's lame. He can't walk. And and Peter walks up to him and says, I I don't don't have resources to give you right now, but what I do have is, is more powerful. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And guess what happens? He gets up and walks. It's a miracle. All of a sudden, a greater thing has been done because even though Jesus in, in the flesh has gone, his spirit has descended upon his disciples, and now his disciples are doing the miracles. The followers of Jesus are the ones now commanding lame people to walk. Holy cow, everybody who's anybody who's standing around sees this guy get up and start walking. They're like, whoa, what just happened? What's going on? And so everybody, kind of this hush comes over the the temple area. And Peter, in classic Peter style, does what Peter does now. He gets up and he gives them a sermon. It's a man after Pastor Bob in my own heart. He gets up and he preaches at them. He's got the attention of all these people because they just witnessed a miracle. And Peter stands up and starts telling them about Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, all of these people are hearing again a whole new group of people. He's like, yes, we're Christians. We get together. And and, and it's because we follow Jesus and we know Jesus and his spirit is with us. And more people become Christians. So that's kind of the backdrop. Peter has just done this miracle. He's preached to the masses. He's preached to people. And now all of a sudden this ecclesia, this church, is starting to get real momentum. And all of a sudden, we get to chapter 4. Chapter 4, all of a sudden something happens where where, where there's a threat against the church and that momentum. 
here's what takes place. While Peter and John, John is another one of the disciples, uh, he's next to Peter, so you would imagine that he would have been preaching and teaching as well, just like Peter. So while Peter and John were speaking to the people, telling them about Jesus, giving that sermon, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came to them, much annoyed. Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming that in Jesus, there is resurrection of the dead. So, they arrested them. They put them in custody until the next day because it was already evening time. But many of those who heard the word believed. They numbered 5,000 people. So, so, so Peter and John are there and they're preaching and 5,000 people become Christians in that one sermon. Wow, I wish I was that good. In that one sermon, 5,000 people become part of the church and then all of a sudden the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the powers and authorities show up and they arrest Peter and John. And because it's too, too late in the evening to have a trial, they say, fine, spend the night in the slammer, cool your jets, and we'll see you in the morning. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all who were part of the high priestly family, kind of the big wigs of the town. When they had made the prisoners stand in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? So now they spent the night in the slammer. They get rustled out of bed. They get dragged in front of the court. And now they're in court. This would have been a court of, of hundred. Oh, excuse me. This would have been a court of seventy-one people, made up of basically three different groups. You would have had the Sadducees. The Sadducees were kind of the, the, the religious bureaucrats. They were the politically minded people. They were power hungry. And they kind of ran the city of Jerusalem, okay? The Sadducees. And then you have the Pharisees and the scribes. These are good people who knew their Bibles super well, but unfortunately they treated the Bible strictly as a rule book. And so wherever they went, they were walking around making sure you were following the rules. So you got the Sadducees, you've got the Pharisees and scribes, and then you have the security details. You've got the temple guard, you've got the security, okay? So you've got these kind of these three groups, and they would have been kind of spread out, and there would have been 71 people that, that John and Peter would have been dragged in front of. And they ask him this question, how in the world, Peter, John, how in the world, by what name did you perform the miracle? How did you do this? Because that miracle gave you a platform to rustle up trouble. That miracle gave you a platform to speak about Jesus. And as we saw before, they were much annoyed. Much annoyed that these uppity rabble-rousers were talking about Jesus. Now bear in mind, this same council of 71, these are the same people that condemned and crucified Jesus. Peter and John are now standing in front of the very court that condemned and screamed, crucify him, crucify him. Peter and John, the disciples of Jesus, are standing in front of the people who killed there, Jesus. Here's what happens next. 
Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, does what? He gives them a... He gives them a sermon. It's so good. I love the Bible. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are questioned today because of a good deed done to someone who was sick and are asked now how this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and all the other people who are listening in that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, and yet whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus, he is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, and he has become the cornerstone. There's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. Whoa. That's pretty gutsy, isn't it? Makes me think I don't get in y'all's face enough. I mean, he, he tells them straight. Jesus Christ, whom you crucified... Whom you killed. It is his power and his authority, and it is his name still alive and active because although you killed him, God had bigger plans. God has a bigger thing in motion that is taking place here. You can't keep Jesus dead. He is back and alive and risen and resurrected. What you tried to do and accomplish failed because God is bigger. And so Jesus and his name is what healed this man. Whoa. Bold. Courageous. Confident. I mean, to have the guts to stand in front of 71 people, the rulers and authorities of that area, that, that, that town, Jerusalem, and to say, you killed him? And yet he is still alive and working in this world. And here is the evidence. You need a visual aid right here. That's what's going on. Wow. And then we get to this verse. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they realized that they were uneducated and ordinary men. Uh, The Greek there is unlettered. Literally means unlettered. It means these these are guys that didn't go through the, the traditional rabbinic school and rabbi training. And yet Peter is quoting scripture at the the guys where the rule the the, the rule book people the scribes who are supposed to know the Bible forward and back. Peter's quoting at them, and they're looking at each other like, "How does this guy know the scriptures? How does this, this guy didn't go through any training in the in, in our schools? This guy wasn't. He's not a rabbi." He is a, an unlettered, uneducated, ordinary fisherman. And they were amazed. And they recognized them as companions of Jesus. The literal translation of companions of Jesus, companions of Christ, is this. They were known to have been with Jesus. These are people who are known to have 
walked with Jesus, sat at his feet when, when he talked and, and to, listened to Jesus and sought to understand who Jesus was. And these were followers, companions. They had been with Jesus. So picture this. You have Peter. I don't know, is he tall? Is he short in your mind? Grizzlied? I don't know, mine's got a beard when I think of Peter. He's got a beard. Probably simple garb. Probably pretty simple. Kind of ordinary. That fisherman, so he's probably got calloused hands. It doesn't, doesn't come across as formal or having many manners. He's a country bumpkin from Galilee. He's this Joe Schmo off the street, and yet he is standing in front of a gathered powers, 71 people, who have the power to condemn him and kill him, just like they did recently to his master, friend, and companion, Jesus. Wow. What courage. I mean, what strength, what guts. What security and boldness must Peter have been filled with to be able to stand there and preach to them? What boldness to stand before his accusers and say, Jesus Christ is risen and resurrected and still alive and working in this world. And he works through me now. You tried to kill him, he's alive and well through me. Wow. Wow. In your life, in your life, you too are going to have moments where the world and people in it are going to accuse you. They're not going to understand you. They're going to look at your life. They're going to look at things that happen around you. And they are going to be annoyed, as the Bible said. They're going to be confused and annoyed. They're not going to get it. It's not going to make sense to them. They're going to find you troublesome. And you will be able to stand there with courage and strength and security and be bold. I mean, how can you have joy when you just spent all that time in the hospital room? I mean, how can you honestly be joyful after, after spending time seeing your own frailty? How can you have hope when your mom or dad just died and you just spent all that time in the funeral home and going through the arrangements? You still have hope after that? I mean, how can you look at your marriage and think it can actually get better? How can you think it's worth even saving? Why don't you just move on? That doesn't make any sense. Just, just forget it already. Don't even bother trying to fight for your family. Are you crazy? I mean, why, why are you upstanding at work? I mean, seriously. What, 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 what? You don't want to gossip with us? We're hanging around and we're all talking and you're too good for us? You don't want to sit and talk? You're not comfortable because we're talking about somebody? That's annoying. 
How can you how can you have strength and security even though even though finances are sometimes ups and down and, and the economy, man, it kind of depends on the day and the year and the decade, and we've been through bad stuff and we've been through good stuff, and yet you have security. You give? You nuts? You're generous? You crazy? You actually give money away? I mean, how can you love that person? How can you be kind to them when they did that to you? They did that to you. And you're choosing to love them and forgive them and care about them even so? Yeah. Yes. Yes, I am confident. I'm secure. I have hope. I have meaning and I have purpose. And it is because I have the Spirit of the living God. I have Jesus the Christ in my life. And so I can stand before any accusers, any powers, the anxiety that attacks me, the questions that come against me. I will stand there and I will live life boldly as a follower of Jesus Christ, as one of His disciples, standing beside the disciples that have gone before me, standing beside Peter, standing beside John, standing beside the 5,000 who committed their lives to living in accordance with the teachings and the person of Jesus Christ all those years ago, so that I here now could know the same joy, the same hope, the same strength and security, and live life boldly for the God who loves me and the God that has claimed me. I live life bold. Because like the disciples... I know Jesus. I am a companion of Christ. I am His follower. He is my teacher. I am His son, His daughter, and He is my master, my Lord. He is my brother, my father, my family. I have the ability to live life bold. Because I have gathered with God's people. And in those moments, when I have gathered with God's people, I have come to the table and I have experienced the living presence of the living God through bread and through wine. I have experienced the power of the living God through water in baptism. I have experienced the presence and person of Jesus Christ. I have been with Jesus and He has been with me. And so, I am bold. I am bold. And I will answer this world and answer the accusations that come against me with nothing less than the gospel of Jesus Christ. That He lived, died, and was resurrected. 
that he might extend grace and compassion to me, to this world, to my neighbor and my friend. You see, sometimes we think that the early church or the, the people in the Bible are like these superheroes that they're, you know, you think of Peter and he seems so inaccessible. He's, he spent time with Jesus in the flesh and he, he walked on water and Peter's just this big, wah, wah, wah kind of guy. But the truth is, Peter's like us. He's an ordinary, unlettered man. But he is defined just as we are as people who are companions to Jesus Christ. And so we, just like Peter, just like John, and the generations of saints that have come before us, we too here and now can live bold lives. Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the witness and the testimony of Peter and John and all those who have come before us, that they would live lives boldly, courageously, with strength and courage, and that through their witness, through their testimony, through their sermons, we are able to gather here now, today, in this time, generations later, because they took a step forward in faith and lived boldly for you and your kingdom. They did so because they knew you. And so we ask here now today, may we also know you, your goodness and your grace won on the cross for us. Be our companion, our guide, our teacher. Be our God, our Lord and our Master. And help us, empower us to live bold lives as we seek to follow after you to live by your teachings and live by your grace. Enrich us now with your presence, we pray. Enrich us through body and blood, bread and wine, that we might be truly your bold, graceful people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.